Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. It's 11.59 on Radio Free America. This is Uncle Sam with music and the truth until dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, American. Another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there, on or behind the line, this is your song. The glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Red Dawn. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, as always, my name is Don. And with me tonight, as always, is the Professor Ken. Good evening, comrades. And the newest addition to Three Guys in a Flick, this is Jill. Marines don't die. They go to hell and regroup. And as our first guest in our new lineup, this is who once was the comic book guy and is now the guy who goes gets the food. This is John. Avenge me! Yes. <laughs> How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. Yeah? Good. I could be doing better. Well, Why I got is... a new job. Well, there you go. Uh, welcome back, Jill. It's nice to have you again. Uh, Jill was on the Galaxy Quest podcast. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go back and listen. Tonight we are talking about Red Dawn, and we thought because of the state of the world, uh, Red Dawn was a good choice to go back and check out. Professor, you've seen Red Dawn? Yep. Plenty of times? Uh, a couple. Jill, had you seen Red Dawn? I have, and then just a couple times on TV. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John? Yes, I have seen this movie many, many times. What about you? Uh, yes, many, many, many times. Released on April 10th, 1984, Red Dawn was directed by John Milius. The screenplay by Kevin Reynolds and John Milius. It stars Patrick Swayze, Charlie Sheen, C. Thomas Howell, Leah Thompson, Jennifer Grey, Ben Johnson, Harry Dean Stanton, Ron O'Neill, William Smith, and Powers Booth. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $17 million and it brought in $38 million. Did you guys see it in the theater by chance? I wouldn't be surprised if I did. I don't think I did. I don't think I saw it in the theater. No, neither did I. I remember uh, specifically seeing this on VHS. Uh, having two older brothers, I got to see, you know, all the good movies. Uh, this was the first uh, theatrical release movie that was rated PG-13. You guys know that? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. Did, did you know that the government helped it become PG-13 and not rated R? Yeah. Do you know why? So they could use it as a training video? As a recruitment video. As a recruitment video. They yeah. thought it would help actually you know, build up their numbers. Yeah. So Red Dawn is a great 80s movie. I mean, there's so much 80s packed into this movie with the celebrities, with the stars. But when you look at the movie... You have to decide kind of whether or not, you know, besides just being an 80s flick, is it a pro-war? Is it an anti-war? 
Or is it something else? What is the purpose behind this movie? The director purposely wanted this movie to show the futility of war. That was his goal in making this movie. The government, as we just mentioned earlier, uh, really saw this as a potential movie to help recruitment of getting people to join the military. They thought it would really get people fired up and patriotic. When the movie first came out, uh, protesters were actually outside the theaters protesting that it was too much pro-war and too violent. In fact, it won a Guinness Book World or Guinness World Record for most violence in a movie at the time. So my question to you guys is, do you see it as pro-war, anti-war, or just you know a, a military recruitment film? Uh, I just saw it as an action flick. Just as an action flick? Yeah. Uh, I thought of it as an action movie primarily as well. I didn't think necessarily of it as a war movie. I get it. It's a war movie, but that's not where my mind it, goes. It has the war background. Yeah. The backdrop of it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just action flick. I don't know if it was when I first saw it. I don't know if as a kid, it was what, 14 when it came out? 15. Um, as I don't, I saw it as just a war film, but I think seeing it older and knowing how the world works now, I kind of see it as glorified war film. Did he, did any of you see it kind of what the you know the director's main point was the futility of war that it doesn't really make a difference? I didn't need the director to tell me that war is futile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but know, did you get that, that what that his no. vision at all? No, not really. No, I, I didn't catch that either. One of the things I did read was the inclusion of the character Lieutenant T- Tanner, Andrew Tanner. Uh they cut a lot of scenes of him that he was supposed to be very anti-war and he was going to basically kind of lead that whole thing of the whole storyline of the movie being anti-war. And that's one of the things that the government kind of stepped in during the editing process and said, let's cut all that out. Yeah. Well, it was originally called 10 soldiers and it was more based on Lord of the flies as uh, opposed to world war three. So yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And this movie came out at a time when things were very different. We we are in the middle of the Reagan years, and we have a very heightened uh, anxiety over the Soviet Union and what what the uh, the Soviet Empire might be trying to uh, you know impose its will upon around the world. And so this was something that was prevalent in a lot of people's minds at the times that you know I'd rather be dead than red type of thing. And also, this was also a time when. World War III was a possibility. I mean, we were, they were talking about it. You know what I mean? Uh, do you remember the movie The Day After? Sure. Yeah. Uh, about yeah. the apocalypse. It was on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 84, same yeah. time. Well, you brought up a good point of being kind of during the Cold War and anti-Soviet, anti-Russia. Charlie Sheen in an interview said that this movie was anti-liberal, anti-Soviet Union, and that, you know, he was excited about it. That's what got him excited to do this movie. Patrick Swayze, on the other hand, said that he saw this movie as uh, about the will to survive and about the human spirit. See, I think I got more of that out of the film than I did any political. Because when I saw it, I mean, being young, I mean, it's us against them, right? A couple of years later, we have Rocky Four again, us against them. Watching it again last night and thinking about what you had asked me, anti-war or pro-war, I see it as a movie of survival. And, and that's that's kind of what I took away from that's it. That's exactly the, what the, I took, too. The, the politics and everything that go around it is just the backdrop of the story, and the story's about survival. Or it's a 1984 action flick, right? Well, one of the reasons I'm really happy we're doing this movie is 
watching it with what's going on in today's world, you can watch this movie and think, this is what's going on in the Ukraine right now. These are people who are fighting for their, you know, their area, for their city, for, you know, their land, for just their lives. And this guerrilla warfare, that's probably exactly what these people are facing right now in Ukraine. In fact, I don't know if you saw some of the pictures early on during the Russian attacks. The Ukrainians were actually spray painting on tanks and buildings and everything the word Wolverines. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one study I saw that um, the movie itself has seen a 500% surge in popularity on video on demand platforms globally since February. So this movie was directed by John Milius. Uh, Professor, are you familiar with any of his work? Oh, so vaguely. Just a couple of them. Flight of the Intruder. Flight of the Intruder came out in 91. And then another personal uh, guilty pleasure is Conan the Barbarian, 1982. Flight of the Intruder. Is that with Dennis Quaid and Danny Glover, maybe? It's Danny Glover and Willem Dafoe. But he has a lot more under his belt when it comes to writing. He has several others. Uh, he, he was responsible for um, Dirty Harry, uh, Magnum Force. Uh, he got nominated for uh, Apocalypse Now, uh, 1941, Red Dawn, and Clear and Present Danger. Not to be confused with Rear and Pleasant Danger. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I heard about the director after this film he felt like he was blacklisted in in Hollywood. He made two more films after this, uh, directing wise. They both bombed, and he didn't get any director like offers after that. Yeah, I I noticed that his work really fell off in the '90s. That he he did very little uh, after the '90s. As a matter of fact, uh, the last thing that I saw him doing was the Clear and Present Danger, where he he did the screenplay. Yeah. Uh, speaking of screenplays, do you know what famous speech he wrote for a certain director of a certain film in 1975? Was it the the Patton speech? Nope. Well, I don't know why I'm looking at John. That's just fucking stupid. <laughs> I was looking John, at my notes and I don't have it in there. John Milius wrote the first draft of the Indianapolis speech in Jaws. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so he did that, and then uh, it got rewritten by Shaw, blah, blah, blah. But when I saw that it was directed by John Milius, that name clicked in my head for some reason, and that was why. Uh, I've seen Conan. It's been a while. It's Arnold in his young days. It is Arnold in his young days. And then there was another one. And James uh, Earl Jones was also in that. Yes, yes, he was. Yes, he was. Him and the, the snakes. Yeah, the snake priest. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this cast. I was noticing that this cast has uh, a, a lot of young faces to it uh emilio estevez was considered but um charlie sheen this ends up being his first credited movie on screen yeah uh, parents yeah they wanted emilio to play the role of jed yeah but can you see him as jed i don't no. i think patrick swayze knocked it out of the park as jed and we kind of got introduced to some of these uh actors from movies like the outsiders and uh other movies of that time i think that the cast that they got for this particular film was spot on uh, Emilio, I don't think has the presence to play a leader like Jed. Jennifer Grey, this was her second uh, credited scene or yeah. cred credited movie, and we had uh, C. Thomas Howell. This was his fifth movie, and we also had Darren Dalton. He is this is his third credited movie. So I, I find that this is a really raw young uh, acting troupe uh, doing this movie. And I, I, I kind of feel like that it, it feels a little clunky, a little awkward in the beginning. Once we get to the third act of the movie, though, I, I feel like it, it flows better. 
but uh, the 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 young cast, I, I think, you know, it, it shows that they were um, still, you know, figuring things out for their, uh, you know, for their profession. Yeah, especially Leah Thompson. I felt like she kind of overacted a lot of her scenes in this movie. She did, but her character's story got cut, and it's on the cutting room floor. So mm-hmm. a lot of the scenes where she's crying and overacting, there were reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never got to see that. Uh, I thought this, uh, this I thought was, Leah Thompson was fine. This was her third movie. You know, her first one was Jaws 3D. Do you know why everybody did not like all the other actors did not like Patrick Swayze on this set? Because he was a method actor and he stayed in character and bossed everybody around. Well, the director specifically asked him besides being the, you're absolutely right. Being the, uh, you know, the method actor, asked him to wrangle all the other actors and keep them prepared to do their roles. And it really drove all the actors crazy, especially Jennifer Grey. She could not stand him on the set of this. And and when she got the role for Dirty Dancing and heard that they were going to hire him, she begged the director to hire somebody else for Dirty Dancing. Yeah, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there you have it. Patrick Swayze was 33, and he was supposed to be, like, just graduated. Uh, <sighs> But, but when you watch it, does he look 33? Yeah. He doesn't no, look fresh doesn't. out of high school. I don't okay, so no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He looks okay. like he looks like he could be 25 I was thinking 24, 25. Yeah. May, he's been out of high school. Yeah. He's maybe a, a junior in college or at the, he actually works at a gas station, which I thought was ironic because his brothers and the outsiders work at a gas, gas station. station. Um, but I bought it. I mean, he, you didn't buy it? No. Oh. I, I did when I first saw it. I was going to say, you know, did you buy yes, it in 1984? Fuck did. yeah, you did. I, yep. Yeah. And now I'm like, what? Yeah, but do you watch it with the same goggles? No. Really? Yeah. Yeah. On older movies from my youth, uh, I try to, but it doesn't always work. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you got to take the goggles off. Now, we know that Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey appeared in Dirty Dancing. What did Charlie Sheen and Jennifer Grey appear in? Ferris Bueller's Day, Day off. off. Nice. What did Jennifer Grey and C. Thomas Howell were in together? Hitchhiker? Grand View, USA. Also with Patrick Swayze. Never saw that one. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. Because I completely just made it up. You? No, you didn't. No, I did. Oh. On a sad note, <laughs> three of the actors in this movie died of pancreatic cancer. Not from filming this movie. No, but it went on to there's die. No, there's no proof. <laughs> so wait, why, why, why do I want to know that? I don't know. I just thought it seemed like a, a weird correlation now. that three of them, you know, went on to die of pancreatic cancer, including Patrick Swayze. <laughs> I'm sad. You know, rest in peace. You know, why, why, why? We're not here to talk about Swayze's passing, but all but two of these people have not eaten at what the heck. <laughs> Hey, I do the I research, would, I gotta I, plug it I, in. I, I wish you would have finished that. At least two of these people have not eaten lunch today. <laughs> um, anything else before we jump into the synopsis in the story? No, sir. I okay. do have one thing regarding the director. Oh my God, please make it more interesting than the three having pancreatic cancer. <laughs> well, I don't know if I can top that. Well, he had lung cancer. <laughs> Well, then, fuck, let's try it. (laughs) 
During the casting process, the director had one question for each actor that came in. Did you know what the question was? Uh, could you kill skin and eat a bunny? A bunny, yeah. yeah. And anybody who said... And it was just for the women. Yeah. It was just for the girl parts. And anybody who paused or said no was immediately taken off yeah. the list. And it was Jennifer Grey and Leah Thompson that got the role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In September, in the town of Kelmet, Colorado, a local high school teacher pauses upon seeing Soviet troops paratrooping from a transport aircraft. He walks outside to question them, and then they open fire. Pandemonium follows as students flee amid heavy gunfire. Jed Eckert, who had dropped off his brother Matt at high school, returns to pick him up and several of their friends, narrowly escaping the chaos. In downtown Calumet, Cuban, Nicaraguan, and Soviet troops begin imposing order after a hasty occupation. Cuban Colonel Bella instructs the KGB to go to a local sporting goods store and obtain the records of the store's gun sales. Brothers Jed and Matt Eckhart, along with their friends Robert, Danny, Daryl, and Ardvark, they flee into the wilderness after hastily equipping themselves at the sporting goods store. At one point, they encounter a Soviet roadblock, but are saved by a U.S. Army helicopter gunship. After several weeks in the forest, they learn that Jed and Matt's father is being held in a re-education camp. They visit the camp, speaking to Mr. Eckhart through the fence, and learn that their mother is dead. Mr. Eckhart reminds them that he had purposely raised them in a strenuous manner, ordering them to avenge him. All right, so let's talk about this opening. I keep thinking, like, every time I see that scene, what would I have done or how would I have reacted I would have just thought it was a military drill or something else going on. I would have never suspected it was an attack. Yeah, well, neither did they. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I remember watching when they uh, fell and then when the teacher goes out. And they don't pull any punches. They just jump right into it. And I was watching it again last night. And uh, I might have noticed it before, but it was more uh, prominent to me last night, is the kid that slumped over Mm -hmm. in the window that he gets hit. You know what I mean? Well, that was their first mistake in the movie, their first goof. Because when the soldiers are outside and they start shooting at the window, that kid's not anywhere near the window if you look at it. But then when they go around from the other side, he's slumped over in the window, so nobody knows where he came from. Uh, Someone threw him in the way to Mm -hmm. protect themselves. I would have been me. Oh, (laughs) Oh, good to know. All right, so when the bullets start flying, get Uh away from Jill. Yeah. Because she'll fucking throw you in front of the bullets. 100%. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of this scene? I was more struck about uh, suspending belief about all of the uh, information that's given to us in the title cards talking about the Soviet Union's wheat harvest uh, 55 years bit, which, by the way, um, that is an issue right now that is happening with uh, the Soviet Union, that their their, uh, wheat crop for this season is gone and the rest of the world especially the European countries are going to be suffering because of this. So anyway, just all that information and, you know, you know, this happens and then this happens and this happens and dogs and cats are living together. It's like, okay, I, okay. So the Soviet union is going to be invading us. Okay. There it is. And so watching them come down and then, you know, the pandemonium, I do like the simple fact that it took almost no time whatsoever we have gunfire and we are fleeing for our lives and there's no long buildup about this. I remember that scene. If I remember anything, it's that scene. Yeah. Cause you're like, what? Cause you can kind of, you know, cause it's, you might, you know, like 
be around that age and then say, gosh, you know, if you, I don't know if I would think it was a military exercise. I probably would have said, uh, I don't, this doesn't look right and, and run. Yeah. This whole movie was actually based off of a report that came out that talked about the military weaknesses of America and, you know, I, you know, how we could actually be attacked on our own soil. And that's one of the things I respect about this movie. Yeah, well, I guess uh, at some point you have to ask yourself, do you even buy that the Soviet Union would be able to uh, get that close to us? No. Right, so. I don't know if they, I, once, once Once you accept that, either uh, you either do or you don't, right? So right. once if, if you accept that and you go along with the ride. You don't think the Russians could attack on American soil like that, coming in through Alaska, coming up through Mexico? You know, hitting our borders. Well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, and if it does happen, I'm going to do exactly what the kids did. Uh, so Jed comes back, Patrick Swayze's character, and he picks up uh, his brother and their friends, and then they just hightail it out of here. And in the meantime, you have uh, the Soviets coming down and shooting everything up. Now, here's a, here's a question I, I got for you. So you're the Soviet Union. and You want to take over America. Why are you starting in Kalamook, Cal, Colorado? They say that that's not where it started. No, but see, that's the thing is they, so that, you know, I was watching some videos and they're like, how at this point does Colorado not know that the Soviets have already come in, according to the map, the Soviets have already come in from Alaska and then Cuba and, and Nicaragua came in from uh, Mexico, up through Mexico. How does Colorado was like, all of a sudden like, what? I don't know. There's a war going on. I guess my, what my question was is why are they even bothering with this small town? Yeah. The reason they give, they're actually hitting a lot of things along the border and that they picked this town because it was a, I guess, a central point to get to other areas. Or because Colorado's pretty. Yeah. See, I like that one better. Right? Colorado's yeah. it'll, pretty. It'll look nice. Yeah, film. there you go. Yeah. Tanner, you go. Lieutenant Tanner said something about it being a strategic location. There you have it. Also, did you know that it was really windy that day that they were doing the paratroop? Para you know, they were coming down and uh, a lot of them were like uh, blown off course. <laughs> and these guys are in this little town and they're paratrooping down and they're parachuting and they are ending up in trees. And these people were like, what's going on? The town people outside town and they're like no 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 we're not really invading you yeah they thought they're, they're all, being attacked yeah 100 yeah. percent. and the cia was looking into the tanks and all of that stuff so uh the thing about this film was everything was practical everything was built there was no computer animation uh at all on this film so you know kudos to the filmmakers that as yeah. well yeah. no miniatures you know. Yeah, no miniatures. And yeah. the only the only thing I think the only weapon that they had kind of issues with is when they did the rocket launchers. You could sometimes see the guide wires. You know what? Another crazy thing about this beginning, gas was a dollar twenty four. Oh my god, <laughs> twenty four, a dollar twenty four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, so they they get out of the town and they stop at a gas station that uh, apparently had everything, uh, and it was ran by uh, Robert's dad, and Robert is C. Thomas Howell. Uh, and he tells them, stock up, take everything that you can carry, blah, blah, blah. Um, I like the bit when they uh, grab the football. I don't oh, know. Yeah. It's just, they're still kids, right? One thing I love about this scene is it wasn't too far out of this, you know, after they left this place in that they said, you know, we're out of water. And I'm thinking they grabbed a whole those things of Coke, all the sleeping bags. 
They didn't grab pallets of water? They didn't have pallets of water in 1984. They didn't? No. no. I don't think so. No. Okay. Although you would think a gas station would. But you notice they did go after the toilet paper. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, and the arrows and the bow. And, you know, they're going camping for a bit. When they get up to the campsite, and I can't remember what his name was, the guy that was the class president. Daryl. Daryl. Daryl starts saying, you know, since I'm class president, I you know, vote that we give ourselves up. Did you have a side? Do you think that they would have lived if they'd given themselves up? Uh, I don't think giving up was ever an option. No. Yeah, I didn't think so. I think Jed had to take power at that point. Why didn't the dad go? See Thomas Howell's dad. Why didn't he just go with them? That's a good question. I thought it was because he was going to go try to check on the wife, on his wife and, and see Thomas's mother. He was going to go check what's going on in town, find out if everything's okay, and then have the kids come back. Did he say that? No, he just said you guys have to go. But that's what—that's the impression I got is that he had. He you wanted them you to go. gave him that backstory yeah. whilst watching <laughs> this film. You took the time to stop well, what was going on on the screen and saying, "You know what? He's going to go back but, and check on Ma." But see, Thomas, how I believe brought up his mother, and he said, "Don't worry about her. I, I'll take care of her." And so that's what I'll I thought. I'll take care of Something her. about, something along those lines. So I thought that that meant he was sticking around because of the, the wife. Sticking and, around for and, the wife. And maybe he can arm other people. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Actually, I never thought about it. I thought just because there was no room in the truck. After oh, I would have found room. Uh, did you notice that Charlie Sheen's character and the kid that played Danny, they wear the same jacket? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Why? Because uh, it was on sale at Sears. So, okay, I can do it too, John. <laughs> Uh, their parents, they excellent. met up for uh, coffee one time, <laughs> yeah. and they, they said, oh, there's a sale in yeah. Sears. So, they want to be yeah. twinsies. I believe yeah. it. Yeah, so that takes us through September, and then uh, we are introduced to October, and we end up having them, we watch them hunting. It's right. like, okay. And I thought that was important that they had that in the story, that they are hunting for food. Right. They're taking care of themselves. Yeah. And the kind of foreshadows C. Thomas's Howell's character, his transition when he kills that deer and they do the whole blood ritual. And they talk about how when this happens, you're no longer the same person you were before. He really does go through a transition of just darkness and anger in this movie. I was thinking to myself, why the fuck would you drink that? Ugh. You know, the bacteria and just the germs. You're drinking the deer's blood. That's gross. But it was okay in the 80s. Well, yeah, in 84, it was perfectly fine. Yeah. We didn't know any better. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I thought it was a good scene, too. Uh, Jed and Matt, obviously, they know the woods. They had said they'd been coming up there their whole life with their dad. And, you know, they, they kind of got the right idea. Um, I guess where it goes south is when they have to go back into town. Yeah, I was surprised that they waited so long, so long to get back into town. I would have thought that they would have uh, ventured to the outskirts, talk to a few people. They yeah. got back into town pretty easily too. Yeah. I kept thinking this, this army that's occupying this town is the most inept soldiers. I think we've ever seen because they stroll into town. They stroll out of town, which is probably why they got this town. Uh, so they go in and they walk through town, like you said, and it was pretty easy for them. And they find out that their parents have been taken to a re-education camp. Uh, they make it over easily to the, re-education camp which is a converted drive-in mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and this is where we meet uh harry dean stanton as the eckert father what'd you guys think i thought he did a good job i thought he was a prick but go on oh he was he basically said he was a harsh father he wasn't always the greatest guy in the world but he was like a war prepper almost you know just one of those crazy guys who thinks this is going to happen we're going to get attacked you have to be ready for doomsday 
And this is, you know, he said, this is why I did this to you kids. Yeah, it still doesn't forgive him for being a dick. No, he was a complete dick. I thought it was interesting that you could just walk right up and talk to people at the fence. And, and With big lights. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of people, though, talking and, through the fence. And, but, but wait, hang on. Didn't the chick at the pharmacy say people are looking for you guys? Yeah. And so they're just walking mm-hmm. around? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And then they would say, hey, whoever talks to this guy, that's the, his kids. And I was like, this isn't a good idea. Yeah. 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 Well, then don't forget that he, you know, screams avenge me and mm-hmm. all the all the guards must not understand. Nope. They must be thinking he's saying something else. And I guess I get um I get his whole spiel about I I treated you rough because I wanted you to be strong and I guess back in 84 it seemed like a good heartfelt speech or whatever, but watching it again last night when he's telling him don't cry don't cry. Don't ever I'll, cry for me again. Yeah, yeah. I, I get the don't ever cry for me again, you know, which, you know, don't cry for me, Argentina. It's okay. Um, but don't cry ever. I mean, he's being a little harsh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then that kind of just kind of threw me out of it well, that, just a little bit. And and you and you could see how Jed took that to heart because he kept saying that throughout the movie later on. Oh, yeah. We'll uh, get to that bit. But what yeah. I did, I did kind of appreciate in his little speech he gave them was, you know, we're, you know in here, we're already gone. So don't think, you know, don't worry about us anymore. We're, we're already done. I think it was overacting. All that whole scene was just, to me, it felt way overacting and and over the top and I I couldn't get into it. It it should have been like heartfelt maybe, but it was too much. You know who I really felt bad for? Robert. No one cared to want to help him find his dad. Nope. Assholes. Mm -hmm. The kids visit the Masons behind enemy lines in occupied America. Robert's father was executed because of the inventory the kids had taken from his store. The Masons asked Jed and Matt to take care of their granddaughters, Tony and Erica. After killing Soviet soldiers in the woods, the youths begin attacking the occupation forces, calling themselves Wolverines after the school mascot. The Soviets respond with reprisals, executing groups of civilians following every Wolverine attack. The fathers of Jed, Matt, and Aardvark are killed in one of these executions. Daryl's father, Mayor Bates, tries to save the lives of the captured citizens by collaborating, but with little success. The reprisal tactics fail to stop the Wolverines. The Wolverines meet American F-15 fighter pilot Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Tanner, shot down by Cuban MiGs. He informs them of the current state of the war. Several American cities, including Washington, D.C., were destroyed by nuclear attacks. Strategic Air Command was crippled by Cuban saboteurs, and paratroopers were dropped from airlines to seize key positions in preparation for assaults via Mexico and Alaska. Most of the southern United States and northwestern Canada are occupied by the Soviets, but American counterattackers have halted Soviet advances along the Rockies and the Mississippi and the lines have stabilized. Remaining U.S. allies, the United Kingdom and China, are crippled. Nuclear fallout concerns on both sides restrict further use of nuclear weapons. That was one thing I didn't get in this movie. Um, I didn't catch where where the lieutenant colonel had talked about nuclear weapons being used on American soil. I thought they said that they were not using America or nuclear weapons because America wouldn't fire on itself. No, I thought that they did use it, but then they quit using the nuclear weapons because they don't want to 
know, kill everybody or. I thought that bit was a good piece of uh, narrative. You know, uh, what do you guys think of Powers Booth? I liked his character. I liked his character a lot too. I think I liked it more this time than previous times. I remember when I was little watching it, I was thinking, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and I always kind of, when I was little watching it, I always felt that this part of the movie drug a little bit, probably because it wasn't all action packed, which what I was used to. And, you know, watching it again in more recent times, I mean, he is kind of the fatherly figure. He is uh, the experienced uh, soldier. And if anyone can help these kids through this uh, moment in time, it would be this guy, right? Yeah. But in the meantime, these kids start attacking and they start going to war with the people that have occupied their town. Yes, they basically have become guerrillas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was wondering at this point, why didn't they just take off and head someplace else rather than sticking around here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the bit where the Russians are at the national park or, um, yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? At the park. And, and then the, the kids are hiding behind the rocks and this is our first encounter. You know, it took, um, 35 minutes into the film before we got our first kill. And the first kill didn't even come from any of the guys. Well, the first kill was the teacher in the beginning and the kids. Oh, for fuck's sakes. I mean, from the Wolverines and who the fucking story is about. I didn't think I had to explain that, but apparently I did. So yeah, it was Jennifer Gray. (laughs) She's a bad bitch. This goes back to what I was saying earlier about the inept soldiers. Those three soldiers were just basically like the three stooges. I mean... They were so klutzy. They couldn't kill just this little girl when they ran down to get her and all that. They they couldn't do anything. Do we want to talk about the the scene at the where the two girls join the Wolverines? I thought it was kind of sweet that uh, the grandfather referred to them as his heirlooms. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was cute. Oh, yeah, and then uh, he tells Jed, you know, take care of them, and Jed goes, "I will, I promise." And then the next thing you know, Jed has them. Uh, Riding around with bombs and placing bombs in stores and uh, being the bait and this, that, and the other. The Wolverines start to retaliate. And I think this this bit here, um, when uh, Jennifer Gray is riding the bike and then they stop at the gas station and the Russians are all like, oh, pretty girl, mm-hmm. come here, come here. And she takes off running. And then uh, it's this clear field. Yeah. And... Uh, and the Jennifer, guys pop up. And the guys pop, pop out from the ground. I, was, I said to Elise, how long did it take them to dig that hole? And how did they know that the tank was going to stop there? And, and she looks at me and she goes, Dad, shut up. Because, it's you in know, the script. When, when I was little, that was the coolest yeah. scene of the fucking movie. Yeah. They just popped up. Yeah. And now watching it now, I'm like, well, how when they have time to do that? My, so. my first thought was she... She had the bomb in the basket. They took the basket, put it in the tank. The tank explodes. The girl starts running, or she's running away. And the sol- the arm, the Soviet soldier pulls out a knife and starts chasing after her with the knife. Why didn't they just shoot her? Well, because like you said, they were inept. But you still love the movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Does it, any of this does any of this what we're talking about take you out of it? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Fresher? Uh no, not necessarily. Because, I mean, for the most part, it keeps you going. It takes me out for a little bit, but I get right back into it. For me, it's an 80s action flick, and that's how I accept it. It's a good ride. So now it's November, and Erica finds Colonel Tanner. 
and then he joins the group. I felt like his inclusion in it was almost like a plot point to basically give us a, he was brought in to give us a heads up of what was going on in the world. So we were finally getting some answers. He was kind of, you know, pushing the story along. That's what I think too. That for the most part, that that's what he's there to let us know what's going on outside of what we are seeing through the eyes of the Wolverines. Yeah, oh yeah, he was definitely the uh, update that the audience needed about what was going on. I thought it was good that he was there. I thought he tried to provide, I don't know, some sort of um, closure for some of the folks or whatever. But um, did any of you have a problem with him and Leah Thompson? I was just going to bring that up. Of course you were. That they, they were kind of building on that that kind of thing between them. When she was asking all those questions about, do you love your wife? How did you meet? You know, do you have any children? Blah, blah, blah. Did you hear about the scene they cut from this movie? Yeah. They cut a love scene between the two of them, which would have been, you know, Leah Thompson said it was beautiful. And it was one of the reasons why she took the role. She really wanted that scene. I think it would have just been icky. Why? Because the huge age difference, the fact that he's married, he said that he didn't know where his wife was or what was going on with his wife, but they had just finished talking about how much he, you know, he cares about his wife and all that. And to throw in this love scene between the two of them would have felt unnecessary. And like I said, just weird that, you know, here's this guy who's a lieutenant colonel in the army who looks like he's about in his 40s, would you say? He said he was going to be 38. 38. Sleeping with a high schooler mm -hmm. would have been very, very odd to me. They did test audience and that did not go well. There's a flip side to that coin. You have to assume that in this film, she's 18 and a senior in high school, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you have to put them into the situation of it's World War Three, right? And I believe Leah Thompson's character was upset because she didn't want to die a virgin. And who does? So who's writing right. a backstory now? I'm, this is fact. Oh, okay. so, so they, you, they you revealed all that? You, yeah. Okay, just They checking. did. And uh, the dialogue was, she didn't want to die a virgin and in the script. And uh, she asks Tanner if he'll make love to her. And he says, okay. And that's how the scene was supposed to play out. And that's what drew Leah Thompson to sign on to this. So... I don't think it's, when it's explained like that, I don't think it's all that bad. It's the end of the world. What are you going to do? I thought that the chemistry was there just because he was a new face that she has been able to uh, experience in, what, two two months, yeah. right? She's been with these six other people, and that's it. What did you think of the scene where uh, Matt asks Leah Thompson's character to do the dishes? Um. I, I don't know. I, I think it kind of went for what another thing that the director was going for, which was that at this point with the Wolverines and everything and with what was going on, that the women were, were needed to be seen as equals and not just there to do quote unquote women's work. Okay. Well, in the eighties, you know, for especially, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, movies that were all just like, you know, um, action flicks were all men. I, I, I can't think of any, especially in the early eighties where it would have, especially young women shooting guns, uh, you know, uh, 
out there killing men. And then for her to say that kind of, that's kind of almost still like in that area where, you know, women are starting to get into the workplace and, and starting to take different roles in the house instead of just to, you know, stay home and cook and take care of the kids. So I guess in that era, I think that that was spot on for her to say that. Oh, and I think it was kind of spot on for Charlie Sheen to say that too, because look who his father was, right? You can't tell me that their mother didn't have dinner and dishes Mm -hmm. and that whole, what was considered traditional back then, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, the, the dialogue felt natural. She may have overacted it just a tad, but I mean, I think all of them overact just a little bit, Yeah, you know, but that's what makes it an eighties action flick. That's true. So, you know, yeah. Tanner assists the Wolverines in organizing raids. This draws the attention of a Soviet general who orders further reprisals against the civilian population. The Wolverine's actions and the reprisals lead to the high command on both sides of the war to know the name Wolverines. And the Soviet generals publicly state that the area may not be pacified for much longer. Soon after visiting the front line, Tanner and Aardvark are killed in the crossfire of a tank battle. Daryl is caught by the Soviets after being turned in by his father. Using threats of torture, KGB officers force him to swallow a tracking device and release him to rejoin the guerrillas. A Soviet unit is sent into the mountains carrying portable radio triangulation equipment, but are ambushed by the Wolverines. The group traces the source of the signal to Daryl, who confesses, pleading for mercy. He is executed by a hardened Robert after Jed executes a Soviet operative. One thing I wanted to bring up, the, the guy who plays the mayor... Uh, he just seems to get cast in all kinds of roles. That actor, where he just turns into a slime ball like that, where he always kind of sides with the enemies. Do you know what other uh, uh, other show he was involved in? Miniseries where he was kind of in the same role. He was a mayor that sided with the enemy. Mm-mm. V. V. Exactly. <gasps> nice. I'm glad you pulled wow. that out. That's right, motherfuckers. That just happened. Yeah, he kind of was in a similar role. What where, what famous newspaper editor did he play? Uh, didn't he not play? Um, oh, in Superman. Yeah, in Superman. In Lois and Clark, the TV show. He was Perry White. So, so we get to watch the Wolverines, uh, with the assistance of Tanner, come up with strategies on how to effectively confront the Soviet forces and take down them using guerrilla tactics. I loved this scene when he's going through the plan and they, he talks about, okay, you got to do this and this, and he uses all the terminology and in the end. They're like, what does that mean? What he says, what's mean? a flank? Yeah. He goes through, that was a good little bit. I just love the look on his face. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same look. I think you give me every podcast. That's probably fucking true. Did you know that the stars, uh, or the, uh, underwent eight weeks of intensive training with real green berets? And they had, to get, they had to get ready for his role. So they track the bug, that, you know, how they've been tracked to their friend, Daryl, who wasn't he really a friend or not a friend, but they track it to him. Do you think they should have killed him or do you think they should have let him go? Uh, it's hard to say because I've never been put into that situation, but I will say watching it last night, I think, and this is just my own, own opinion, I think, banishing him and get telling him to get the fuck out is a viable option. Mm-hmm. My first thought was if they let him go, he's going to give up information on them. But I'm thinking then I, when I rethought about it, he already had said he'd been tortured. They'd already put the tracker in him. He probably had already given up every bit of information he could give up. 
So yeah. banishing him would have worked out just fine. And what would have happened was he would have gone back, told him he failed, and they would have shot him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe dead. killed his father too. Oh, probably. If his father wasn't already dead. Or he takes off and dies of frostbite. You know, but I don't know if the group necessarily needed to kill him. But Robert has gone through a massive change mm-hmm. uh, throughout this film, C. Thomas Howell. And he has become hardened. He has become non-caring. And uh, Tanner even, Tanner notices this. And he says, you know, all that hate inside you will eat you up, kid. Um, or the fire inside you will eat you up. And it keeps me warm at night. He says it keeps me warm. Yeah. So One of the interesting things with that scene when Robert shoots Daryl, this was kind of a turning point of the movie. This is where things kind of started going really wrong for them. And if you notice when Daryl dies, he kind of wipes the blood onto Robert's chest, onto his jacket. And I almost felt like that was a foreshadowing of Robert's not going to be with us much longer. Uh, I, I had that moment where everything was going south is when Tanner died, which is yeah. before this scene. Um, just they get caught in a tank crossfire. So I, I want to talk more about that scene Let's where, do it. Where, Tan, where Tanner and Aardvark die. So we are uh, suddenly confronted with a tank that rolls up. They're, they're watching uh, a, an airstrike that's happening. And then the, the tank rolls up and they start freaking out when the tank is just right above them. And I'm thinking, why are you guys freaking out right now? You have been through a number of these raids that you've already done. I don't understand why they're losing their shit. And yes, I see a second tank pull up, but you know, who's it? Aardvark? He starts freaking out and yelling. He, and he gets up and he wants to run away. I think that's Danny. But I couldn't understand why they're, they, they lose their shit. Well, they start losing their shit. I think when the tank starts shooting, yeah. which my first thought is why isn't blood coming out of their ears? They're so close to that explosion. Because I'm also thinking you have a, a decided advantage being so close to the tank that, that they are right on top of them, that, that they should be able to jump up, drop a grenade or two in there, because most likely they're not expecting that at all, right? The right. tanks, they roll out there. They, they don't see anybody out there. Right. And so their guard is down. And I don't understand why they just all of a sudden lose their shit like that, because that is very uncharacteristic of how they behaved previously showing such moxie and grit and confidence in all of these other excursions that they've already gone through. I'm with you, professor. Why aren't they just creeping around? The tanks can't see them. Yeah. Or they're in white to boot. Right. right? So or they sneak off. Yeah. Yes. Why not just sneak off, live to fight another day, Mm -hmm. but no, we lose two of the uh, two important characters and you know, it comes to the, uh, Daryl bit, and now we lose Daryl too. So, yeah, they're just dropping left and right. Yeah, but was Daryl a big loss? Yeah, uh, he was pulling his own during some of those firefights. Oh. So, so this, so after we lose Tanner and Ardvark, then we are now to February, and we are introduced to uh, Stranikov, and he is our man main antagonist. He is the one that decides to go specifically hunt down the Wolverines. And and I kind of got confused here way back when. I didn't really know who our main antagonist was. Was it Bella? Was it that other Russian dude? Or is it this dude that you just mentioned? And yeah, it's got to be this dude because, I mean, he just looks like the bad guy. You know what I mean? When they introduced him, I felt like, okay, now they've introduced Jed's counterpoint. Jed and, and Matt talked about early on that they were basically raised to be hunters and survivors and 
deliver. This guy in his own speech says, we need to be hunters and hunt the fox. Yeah. So now we are confronted with the scene that turns out that um, he's followed the bug. And I had a couple of different thoughts about this. One, why don't you try to use this to your advantage to set a trap? Go back and tell him, guys, I'm in some really deep shit. Here's what's happened. How can we use this to our advantage? Two, since he's followed the bug, can't you just kind of sort of wait a couple of days and it's going to come out the other end? <laughs> There's that. I like what you're saying about setting a trap for him. Just, yeah. Right. You just keep killing the guys off they keep sending. Right. Use, use And you it, know they're coming. Use it to, to, to your advantage. And, and you can turn this, and he doesn't necessarily have to die because of this. And yes, you could go ahead and send him off. That is certainly one way to do it. I didn't think it was necessary to kill him because I don't look at what he did was an act of betrayal. He did not willingly choose to side himself and try to get some sort of a personal advantage by going to the Soviets and saying, what can you give for this? No, he didn't per se, but he did choose to go to town. Right. He, oh, yeah. he, did, he did choose to go to town, but I just thought that there was a lot of different ways for the story to go. But it is a very powerful moment in the story as we are confronted with this. And it is shot very well because we are on this big grassy field and it is very lonely. And it is just them. And you're wondering, how is this going to play out? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I think I think we can all agree all the way around. He didn't have to die. He did not. But in '84, Daryl's a dead man. So, did you think that the Soviet soldier was going to be shot? Yeah, yeah, at some yeah. point. I knew he was going to die at yeah. some point. Yeah, because I'm wondering why did they take him prisoner? Maybe they were hoping to get some sort of information out of him. But why do you think that he's going to be able to talk to you? You don't know unless you try. I'm just I'm just thinking that, you know, when they take the Soviet soldier, you have to everybody has to know that he's going to die and and they shouldn't be squabbling over that. Didn't Matt say uh what's the difference between us and them? Oh, you're right. And Matt even says we're not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And then um I think it was Jed that said um uh, we live here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. why he shot him. Yeah. And then but Jed still wasn't really Jed wasn't going to do it. Uh, as they're having this discussion, Robert just walks up and fucking kills him. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to throw up some red flags on that one there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> the remaining Wolverines are ambushed by a helicopter gunship and Tony and Robert are killed. Jed and Matt attack a Soviet headquarters in Kalamut to distract the troops while Danny and Erica escape. The plan works, but both Jed and Matt are mortally wounded. Colonel Bella finds the brothers but feeling the already too great loss of war, the colonel is unable to kill them, so he motions them on. The brothers reach a bench in the park where they spent time as kids, holding each other as they die. Meanwhile, Danny and Erica trek through the Rocky Mountain wilderness, reaching the frontier of free America. Roll credits. Now, one of the things I want to talk about, something that... Kind of, I don't know why, but it made me kind of chuckle a little bit. Was when I was watching this movie and we see Tony get shot and all that. I think it was Julie that said, Great job taking care of those heirlooms. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I said earlier. Uh, Jed just kept putting them in the way of danger. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't really taking care of them, you know. And it was just as they were going to have a nice little moment with her squeezing the orange, and you think that everything is okay. Um, I thought when the food fell off the truck that that was a trap. I well, thought it was pushed off. That's it, what I thought. And then maybe there was a tracker in them. Yeah. Or, and, and speaking of taking or, care of heirlooms, who does Jed send to go get the fucking or, food? Or, I thought they were poisoned food. Or something like that. Yeah, it was either poisoned or I thought there'd be a sniper somewhere. Yeah. I thought or, sniper. Yeah. And yeah. I still have that suspicion because those helicopters found them pretty quick yeah. after they you know, stole the food and went off and, and stood out in the open oh, yeah. while they I, ate I mean, the food. It, 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 it was probably a, uh, they were probably luring them. They were hunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what the Russian dude said he was going to do. And so here's where we lose Tony and um, we lose Robert. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does manage to, how does he not blow up that helicopter with that rocket launcher? I thought the same thing, but then I thought, well, maybe the director didn't want to pay for that special effect. <laughs> oh, that yeah, yeah. They I thought been. they, they, they would have had to blow up a real fucking helicopter. Yeah. They just did a little, little flame out inside of the helicopter. Yeah. I thought it was going to go down behind the uh, horizon line of the hill and then we'd have an orange explosion. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, that's a good yeah. cost cutting way of doing it. Um, but no, the fucking helicopter lands and the guy gets out. So we lose three more characters. I didn't dig the way Robert just stood there and fired with his rifle. Like that. So he hits the fucking helicopter with the rocket launcher and he steps out from the rock and like he's hot shit. And in my head, I'm going four, three, two. And of course he's going to fucking get hit. I mean, yeah, that was dumb. Mm-hmm. Stupid. I thought he was going to kind of go out sacrificing himself so the others could get away. But no, he just starts shooting the, the gun at the helicopter. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. So the uh, Wolverines are now down to four. We have Jed, Matt, Danny, and Erica. Um, did you guys think Danny would make it to the end? I didn't think any of them were going to. I wasn't going to put my money on Danny. Yeah, I, I think I was with you. I, I think I'm with both of you uh, because of the hard time that Jed gives Danny in the very beginning, you know, because he's 15 years old. I mean, could you imagine at 15 going through this? And I I didn't think any of them were going to get out alive, but something was going to happen where it was going to make it okay. I thought with the whole kind of foreshadowing in the beginning of take care of my daughter or my granddaughters and everything, I thought the two of them were going to make mm. it out if anybody was going to make it. Well, one of them did. Yeah, so, so I was you surprised. Were, you were I, half right. So I was surprised when Tony got killed. I think the way that um, Tony went out was kind of good, though. Yeah, she went out with the grenade she and sure did. she took out at least one more yeah. fucker. Yeah. And I thought it was a touching scene where she's asking Jed to, you know, basically end her and, mm-hmm. and he just couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, Jed yeah, is human. Mm-hmm. You know what I didn't get was why it was just the two of them. These people are should be extremely close to each other. They should all be with her saying their goodbyes. One of the things they edited out of the movie, another one of these deleted scenes, was they actually built up a relationship and were in love with each other at this point. Plus when they got... Uh, when they got ambushed, they all split, and that's uh, she got hit oh, and she falls right. off there. Yeah, but but when Jed leaves her, we see uh, at the crest of the hill. We we see at least one of them at the crest of the hill. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm. They're not coming. They're not going to risk coming back down the hill when they're already on top of the hill. I don't know. I just thought that they should have been saying goodbye yeah. and, and not just him. They had the high ground. So after this scene. Uh, Jed and Matt 
decide to go positive version to allow two people to escape out of Colorado. Yeah, I agree. They have to make it 40 miles to the free zone. So why don't they go together, all four of them? That was my thought, too, is they can get in and out of the town so easily. And they can. why didn't they just all go? Why do they need the diversion? I don't know. There were so many of those points of why didn't they, why didn't they, they should have done this. But then and, again, you needed a long movie. So. And couldn't Jed have just done the distraction? Why didn't Matt have to go too? Oh, because he backed his brother. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's what that came down to. So inevitably, uh, the brothers go into the town. Before they go to the town, though, did you catch when Jed was writing on the rock the names of the people who just died? He included his own name on the rock. And his brothers. Yeah, so he knew it was a suicide mission. This is where the Eckhart brothers get it, and it was kind of inevitable. You knew it was going to go down this way. Uh, the Russian... Uh, the Russian leader or whoever it was. Colonel Bella. Colonel Bella is in his room and now he's having second thoughts about mm-hmm. being this guy. And at first I was like, why the fuck is he being all wishy-washy now? He just, yeah, I don't you know, know, he was being this big badass, And then he, he made a good point and it took me a little while to kind of get it from his letter that, you know, in the past, he's been a revolutionary soldier. They've always been fighting against something. And in this time, he's been in, put in a position where he is the people coming in, invading, and causing all the problems. He's not fighting the revolution. He's These people are fighting a revolution against him. And so he feels like he's been put into the wrong place. And that's why he says, I'm going to resign my commission You know, in you know, a few days here. Yeah, I felt like it was just a little too convenient for me. Mm. So, How about the other officer reading the magazine? Oh, the Playboy? The Playboy behind him. <laughs> I love how he turns it sideways. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. And then uh, we have all the explosions taking place, and all of a sudden, you know, it's pandemonium. And they seem to be attacking everywhere at once. Right. And so Jed and Matt are strategically making their way through the town, blowing this up, blowing that up. But you hear gunfire way off in the distance. Who the fuck are they shooting at? Man, I wondered the same thing. That's the comment I made as well, is everybody's shooting and nobody knows who they're shooting at. Yeah. Yeah. And then it'll cut back to Jed and Matt running through the town. And I'm like, how the fuck do these people not know where these two are? I don't know. And then the Russian colonel dude happens to get the drop. No, Jed gets the drop on him. And he and fucking has to make the line. Yeah, he fucking turns monologuing. He starts monologuing. Yeah. Yes, you <laughs> sly dog. You got me monologuing. Um, it was fucking. Uh, you know, I can love this movie as much as I want to love this movie, but there are still bits in this that you're like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" Yeah. You know. But we'll just chalk it up to 1984 action flick. How long do you think their whole attack took? Half an hour, an hour, like. It didn't seem like it was very long of these two guys attacking the town. No. Well, they can only go so far. It's only two guys. I know. And I'm thinking, this is their diversion. I mean, the people can get all the way through or wherever they need to get. They're drawing all the troops here in 15 minutes, 10 minutes of diversion time. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's was, the all plan they, that was the plan they came up with. And so that's how it got executed. I guess it goes back to these soldiers just being ridiculous. Yeah. All right, so what do you guys think? Are you guys ready to rate this bitch? Oh, we can't rate it yet. We missed an important part. We need to connect this movie to Lord of the Rings. Oh, brother. 
Now it's time for John's... Moment. So breaking down this movie based off of Lord of the Rings, we first have to decide who is the Fellowship. And obviously, the Wolverines are the Fellowship. They're the ones on the mission. If I had to pick an Aragon, I was thinking Jed. Jed's kind of the leader, obviously. And he's the one that's kind of keeping them all in line and working hard to protect them. So he's got to be Aragon. Lieutenant Andrew Tanner gets my vote for Gandalf. Now the orcs, obviously the enemy, enemy soldiers, it got a little bit more difficult when we try to figure out what is the precious, what is the thing that's so important to them, but ultimately has a corrupting factor on them. So my thought was it has to be the anger in their hearts and their, their, their desire for vengeance, especially Robert. You could see how he goes from an innocent to being you know, corrupted by his anger and just deadened by his anger that eventually leads to his own death. So that's where I had to kind of pick, you know, figure out the precious. And that in the end of the movie, when they go into Mordor or this Colorado town, uh, the two brothers basically get their final vengeance, let go of their anger, cast the precious into Mount Doom, which is basically let go of their anger and they die peacefully in the park that their father had talked about taking them to as a fond memory. So that would be my Lord of the Rings impression. Thoughts? I can see the Wolverine part, and that's about it. Thoughts? I thought that the uh, casting into uh, Mount Doom, their hatred, and having them die, stretch, big, big stretch, and... uh, I just don't really see a strong Lord of the Rings connection here. I think that the fellowship uh, was an obvious one. Uh, the hate and the precious could be an interesting take, but a little bit of a stretch as well. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to give you a C on that one too. The one thing I would like to kind of bring up is the two brothers sitting on the bench. They did not remind you of Frodo and Sam after they cast the ring when they were sitting on the rock. Oh, my God. Rosie Cotton had ribbons in her hair. All right, that one I'll give you. Okay. That that one I'll give you. <laughs> Wait, so that's where Lord of the Rings got their idea was from Red Dawn. For that particular scene, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Way to go, John Milius. <laughs> what a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and that was John's. Moment. All right, so uh, what do you guys think? Are you guys ready to rate this bitch? Not just yet. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, my. I have an issue about these kids being wolverines, that they are guerrilla fighters. I am wondering, why did nobody else ever choose to join them? If they are so well-known, why in the world do they continually stay by themselves? Why do they not have anybody else joining 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 them at the end? Because no one can find them. No, but they freed how many people yeah. from those camps and stuff. And give them weapons. And from the trucks. And they you know, saved the people who were going to get shot on the firing line. None of them ever thought to join them. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought that somebody else should have been joining them. But nobody? Nobody joins them? Well, the hmm. story wasn't about them. It was about the Wolverines. And they weren't in high school at the time. Yeah, if you, if you weren't in high school, you couldn't be part of the club. <laughs> yeah, you You're weren't a cool. Wolverine. Yeah. 
All right. I say we rate this bitch. All right. Now can we do it? Yeah. I just had to get that off my chest because you say, is there anything else? Is there anything else you want to talk about before we move on to ratings? No, sir. Anything else that pertains to this movie? Would you like to know my connection to Star Wars? It's the same fucking thing. Good versus evil. I get it. We're going to have to talk about that. Jill, is there anything else you would like to talk to about? To get off my chest about this movie? Yes. Okay. When they're starting the fire in the beginning, I mean, we've all watched movies where you're like, don't start a fire because they'll see the smoke. So they're here they are, just big old bonfire in the middle of the woods. Well, they th- I think they feel that they are high enough, for, far, far enough away that the Soviets won't see it. And there's like, what, six or seven of them, and then there's a huge army down below. They could have easily taken them out a lot sooner than that. Who, the army could have? Well, the Russians or Russians and the Cubans could have taken them out a lot earlier than. Could have taken out the Wolverines? Yeah. No fucking way. Yes. That, uh, excuse me. They Mm. stayed alive for six months with no food and no training. (laughs) I was just like, what? What about aliens? You're you're supposed to finish the line. That's why I pointed to you. Why don't you put her in charge? Never mind. Moment's gone. All right. So what do you guys think? Should we go ahead and rate this bitch? Finally. I have something I want to talk about. Oh god. I'm just kidding. Let's <laughs> Ken, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. A one fuck movie is a movie that it's one and done. You had an interest in seeing it, and there you saw it, and you have no desire to ever watch it again. And what would a zero-fuck movie be? A zero-fuck movie is a movie that somebody owes you two hours of your life back. Fuck you for making me watch that. That's, And in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right, who wants to go first? Not it. Not it. Not it. I'm going to go first. You go first. (laughs) So, Red Dawn, I am uh, pleasantly surprised in watching the movie that... In general, I felt that it held up as as much as it had uh, in my memory from what I recalled about the movie. I think my favorite character, which we didn't get around to talking about, who is your favorite character in the movie? But I guess that's a, another conversation for another time. I, I think that I liked Powers Booth. Uh, Colonel Tanner, I think that he was my favorite character. Uh, I, I dug the uh, the grit, the moxie that uh, the uh, the girls show in the movie, and that they are every bit as capable as the boys are in the movie. I, I thought that the first act in the movie, uh, I was happy that we got into uh, the 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 Soviets just there, and and you know, ten minutes into the movie, you know, we are up in the hills, and so I, I was really. I thought that that was a good uh, way to to immerse us into the movie. I, I thought that the characters, they developed okay. And in general, I thought that the third act uh, was a stronger movie. It certainly has its flaws throughout, as we have been quibbling about uh, moving through, uh, reviewing this movie. And uh, for the most part, I think that it is an okay movie. I'm going to give this 2.5 fucks. 2.5 fucks from the professor. Now, uh, for the rest of us, uh, as you are beginning your review or talking about it, please tell the professor who your favorite character was. Oh, right on. All right, who wants to go next? You want me to go next? Sure, but I will go next. I will start off by saying, you know, the colonel, I want to say, is one of my favorite characters, but I have to go with actually Patrick uh, Swayze because he did play the hardened leader who did have a heart, you know, he breaks down a few times. 
He has problems shooting Daryl. I thought he did a really good job in a role, you know, playing a character who was put in a position that he never really wanted, but he knew he had to take. So I, I have to go with, I thought Patrick Swayze did such a great job that he be, kind of became my favorite character in this. Now, looking at this movie, I have to keep in the back of my mind that this movie was made in the 80s. So the fact that they were able to make this movie without, you know, a lot of CGI, a lot of miniatures, things like that, I give them a lot of credit for, but there were also at the same time, when you look at the technical wise and directing wise, there were a lot of issues that couldn't be overlooked. I kind of had to kind of, you know, lower my rating, you know, looking at that. When I look at the script and story again, things were overacted, things that didn't make sense. You know, the director's purpose of showing the futility of war, I think a lot of that got removed. So you know, again, I don't know if it was the actual story that the director wanted to tell. I don't know if he got his point across. Now, looking at the subject matter and the portrayal, and does it kind of connect up to things going on today? Absolutely. I felt like this was, you know, since it was based on a report of an actual weaknesses in America, you know, in our, you know, in the fact of could we be invaded, I thought they did that really well and they presented that really well. So I give a lot of credit to the movie for their story, their story and the portrayal of it. I always enjoy this movie. Like I've said, I've seen this movie a number of times. I could watch it easily again. Um, not that I even catch anything new each time. It's just, it's to me, it's kind of a moving story. It's a moving, you know, it's just a well-done 80s action movie. When I look at, you know, so again, rewatchability, high score for that because I could watch this movie over and over again. So going based off all of that and averaging all of the, you know, the thoughts in my head and different scores for those categories, I'm going to have to go with a 3.25 fucks on this movie. 3.25 fucks from the comic book guy. Uh, Miss Joe, would you like to go or yeah. would you like me to go? No, I'll go. Uh, favorite character, I think it was C. Thomas Howell and Robert because he had the biggest arc in this storyline. And the I don't give a fuck and shoots people and drinks blood and it, it, he had the most character development in in this one. Um, if you would said, "Hey, let's watch Red Dawn," I'd be like, "Yes," and that would be my fourteen, fifteen year old self remembering it a certain way. Uh, but then I was like, I was very excited. I knew exactly. I thought I knew everything about this movie. I was like, oh, I know scene by scene. And then we go to start watching it. And of course, the first scene was the one that was like, yes, I remember this scene. And and to and that that scene still is eerie, so eerie. They're floating down, and just so quietly things are happening, and you're like, oh, what's going on? It's like a juxtaposition there. And, but then, and then when they had to get out of town, I'm like, okay, I'm still rolling with this. I'm still rolling with this. But then it starts to kind of, for me, go off the rails. Like, why didn't the dad go? Why, you know, didn't they, you know, like you said, like grab water or whatever at the time. And then they go into the woods and I, I feel like it just started to go off the rails. They can easily get in out of town. Uh, there's supposed to be hundreds of people in an army, but yet six kids hold them off. Uh, at that point, I was just like, oh. And then I see uh, I'm the only one watching this because somebody falls asleep during it. And then I was just like, man. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I was reading a critic and he says, you know, uh, 
the Dirty Dozen meets the Breakfast Club. And I'm like, that is exactly what it is. <laughs> and, and he says, what's not to love is just awesome. But I don't, I just don't feel like I connected with the characters like I thought I did back in the day. Um, it was overacted. Um, I do have to give props to, uh, um, you know, no CGI like we know now. And, and I do take into consideration that it was um, shot in 1984. Um, but I just didn't think as a, it was as good as I remembered, unfortunately. So for that, I'm giving it a 2.5 fucks. 2.5 fucks. So it's halfway in the middle. It is. So there's there. That, that's there's not stuff. horrible. My turn. This movie came out when I was in fourth grade. I didn't see it at the theater, but I certainly made up for it when it came out on VHS. I remember when it did come out, I was thinking, holy shit, what if this really happened? Uh, it was the Cold War, as we talked about. Uh, World War III was you know, being discussed and could happen. So it was kind of a tense time. I specifically remember the opening. Once the troops invade and the kids get supplies and take off to the mountains, that scene has stuck with me ever since 1984. Uh, I thought and still think that if we ever get invaded by troops or zombies or whatever, we stock up and we go. In the instance of zombies, though, we put our backs to the ocean um, and don't go to the woods. Uh, what I liked about this movie, uh, the cast, Swayze was a charismatic presence and emitted a natural-born leader quality. And uh, everyone else played their parts well. And, you know, a lot of those actors went on to have really good careers. During the movie, you could see the toll that the entire event took on these kids. Kids who were asked to grow up in a matter of minutes and become survivors. And I thought that the cast did a good job portraying that. Uh, the story was fine. It was an A to B story, and it got us there. Uh, but some of the moments did drag for me just a, just a little bit. The score was your typical score. It was a war theme with some uplifting sections and also moments of dread and just moved the story along. The action set pieces were well done. The fact that they were all practicals made it even more impressive. At the time, this movie made me believe that this could really happen. And yet it was still a fun movie for me, uh, growing up watching it over and over again. It has its ups and it has its downs, but it made you feel something. Uh, and when a movie can do that, it's doing its job. What I didn't like. Some of the decisions that were made by our characters were questionable at best. Why did the two brothers go in to create a diversion? You know, why didn't they all escape? Uh, we kind of talked about all of that. Uh, the movie dragged a little bit for uh, in bits for me, uh, specifically when we would not be with the Wolverines. Every other scene, non-Wolverine related, just kind of felt long to me, I guess. Maybe I just wanted to get back to the action. I don't know. Uh, the ending felt forced and a little bit rushed, but it is what it is. And we've lived with it ever since 1984. Overall, the things that I didn't like or had questions on didn't take me out of the movie too much. This was a fun ride with a great cast that has become a beloved eighties classic movie. I loved this movie when I was a kid. I love this movie when I watched it last night, I am giving red Dawn 3.75 fucks. Okay. You didn't answer the question. My favorite character would have to be probably Jed. You know, Derry was my favorite character in The Outsiders. Dalton's my favorite character in Roadhouse. Um, I'm a Swayze guy, you know, so I'm going to go Swayze. All right, so that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. I just want to thank Jill again for coming on. 
we had a really good time. Did you have fun? Yes, of course. I always do. Be sure to join us next week when we review big. Uh, but in the meantime, hey, John, where can they find us? If you want to have easy access to our podcast and our show notes, or even suggest a movie for us to review, please go check out our website at threeguysinaflick.com. We're also available on pretty much all of the social media platforms and podcasting hosting sites. All right. So there you go. I just want to thank uh, Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. And congratulate Jill on her new position, I guess. Yay, I'm part of the group now. Oh, yes. Uh, welcome to the thank team, you. Jill. Uh, John, it's been real. It's been fun. Drinks on me. Don't know if it's been real fun. All right. So for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. I'm Jill. Wolverines! So tonight we're doing the 2012 version of Red Dawn. And we get right into it. Yeah, well, he's now on, he's now on mute, and he doesn't get his privileges back Yay. until I decide. You mean this just wasn't our idea? What? Everyone else is watching Red Dawn? Oh, for fuck's sake, happened? turn off the fucking mics. Let's go Let's home. Let's go home. Another little piece of trivia. Uh, the other actors didn't know how to ride horses. Who taught them to ride the horses? See, Thomas Howell. And why? Because he used to work at a rodeo. Did we cover that in The Outsiders? I don't think we mentioned the rodeo no. in The Outsiders. Oh, okay. Fuck, I know everything. Well, did they ride horses in The Outsiders? They might have. So why from would it have come you up? Never There's no reason no. for oh, it to Oh, I'm sorry. Up. Were you yes, fucking there horses on the, the set while they so were fucking filming The Outsiders? I don't that. think you were. He was called Pony Boy. <laughs> Along with their friends, Robert, Morris, Danny. Oh, along with their friends, Robert Morris. So he's the only one that gets the last. Danny doesn't get a last name. D you can just does. leave off all their. Oh, that's names. fucking bullshit. Poor Danny. The remaining Wolverines are ambushed by an M124. Fuck you. <laughs> so I got a question, Professor. On that poster, that infamous poster you talk about with all the movie porn names, did they happen to have Raw Dog Dawn? <laughs> I don't remember. Okay, just checking. Uh, raw, what is it? Raw Dog Dawn. What's the movie? Well, hang on, hang on. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Raw. Like dog? Red Dawn? It would say it's Raw no. Dog Dawn. Did you just make that up? Maybe. Oh, no wonder it didn't fucking make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. Hey. All right, fuck off. Good night.